wasn't sure if we were starting. Never sure if we're starting until one of us says, "Welcome, welcome to super, to super duper stitious, duper stitious." <laughs> the paranormal podcast about the science of the strange. I'm Wyatt. I'm Jake, and we are back, y'all. Which is technically always true if you hear us talking and are listening to an episode. It means we have returned from wherever we were before that. Yeah, actually, the only reason we were able to put this episode, this show out, uh, let's see, what is it, about once a week, maybe two <laughs> times a month, is because we travel so much. During a pandemic. Yep. And the end. <laughs> I want to bail on this bit. Um, <laughs> this, of course, is the show where we talk about spooky, strange phenomena, and we try and uh, understand them better, and perhaps explain them using science and uh this time we're going to be doing a topic we've done before is that correct wyatt it is i think this episode it's high time we return to the grand experiment (laughs) one might even call it the ultimate perversion (laughs) and the only barrel of content that is certain to go incompletely tapped until at least 23 more episodes it's once again time for (laughs) Episode 2, Birth State Bizarre and or A Birth State Abominations. <laughs> um, so this is our long running series that we started way back in February. <laughs> um, this is episode 2 and it is what it sounds like. We're going to go to all the states in North America and it's outlying, uh, what would you call them, colonies? <laughs> and talk about them and stories that take place in them we'll just talk about the states so <laughs> the history of them uh no of course we'll be talking about spooky shit that happened inside of them uh-huh. and we will speculate wildly now we we did say we're going to do a whole bunch of these because we're going to cover a whole lot of ground and uh we recently asked if we were ever going to do it again now it would have been a very funny bit if we had just done say michigan and illinois and then not any others ever again but uh we're not gonna do that to you we're gonna we're gonna keep on going so last time we did home states uh like where we actually have lived i was i would have done the state i actually grew up in but i already had a new hampshire story ready to go and that was the place i had lived the second longest and most recently before i moved here so uh yeah now i'm gonna do my actual home state where i was born you were born in a different state than you grew up in so that it's means true. we have more states to choose from. We both sort of took on 
semi-adoptive states for our first episode, and mm-hmm. now we're coming back to our roots. I, too, will be picking my actual state of birth, which was baby. <laughs> of course, Pennsylvania. <laughs> Penn's Woods. And am I the first? Do I start today? It is uh, well, episode 141. Yes, odd. You go. How odd of me. So, right, we already took a pretty deep dive on Centralia, the notoriously creepy abandoned mining town, semi-abandoned mining town. I thought it was Centralia. (laughs) Centralia, um, which was uncomfortably near to my actual birth town of Bloomsburg on a previous episode, which I did not look up. So, for today, I figured I'd tackle something from the city of 5,000 Hills, Pittsburgh, where my family briefly lived while my dad attended graduate school himself at Carnegie Milan. <laughs> uh, hats off to Troy Taylor, who became obsessed with the upcoming story and has made a minor career out of pulling on the strings. I'll be drawing on a lot of his efforts for my segment today. So, Jake, have you ever heard of The House on Ridge Avenue? I don't think so. Neither had I. But it is, I guess, one formerly America's most haunted house. Wow. Slight spoiler. <laughs> it has become less haunted since or oh, yes. other places it have has gotten become more haunted. Less existed since. Oh, that all right then. <laughs> <laughs> the house on Ridge Avenue was located in the quiet residential neighborhood of Manchester on Pittsburgh's north side. The house was originally owned by a man named Charles Wright Congolier, who had made a fortune for himself in Texas following the Civil War. Hmm. Congolier left Texas by river steamer, taking with him his wife Lida and their servant girl Essie. Lida Rose, by any chance? I believe a rose by any other name. When the steamer eventually docked in Pittsburgh for coal, Congolier decided that the Pennsylvania town looked as fine a place as any to settle down. It's a bit of a rhyme on my dime. The three of them left the ship, and Congolier purchased a lot and began construction of the house. A few months later, the new brick-and-mortar mansion was completed, located at 1129 Ridge Avenue. It was considered one of the finest houses in the area. This is, by the way... In the late sixteen, or excuse me, the late sixteen hundreds, <laughs> shortly after the Civil War, <laughs> the late eighteen sixties. There you go. The Congoliers enjoyed a breathtaking view from an expansive lawn. One could look across the landscape to see where the Allegheny and Monongahela rivers I should have looked that up met mm-hmm. to form the Ohio. Charles soon became a respected member of the local business community, and his new home became a frequent site for parties and social gatherings. Mm -hmm. That was until the winter of 1871, Mm -hmm. during which Congolier apparently became embroiled in an affair with his servant girl, Essie. Uh Uh-oh. While it is not known for how long the two kept up with their relationship, their romance seems to have carried on without Lida's knowledge for some time. This all came to the surface only after a family friend of the Congoliers spontaneously came by for a visit and let himself in when no one came to answer the door. He found Lida in the parlor, rocking back and forth in a chair in front of a large bay window. Mm -hmm. In her arms was a bundle wrapped in a blanket. Mm -hmm. 
The friend carefully pulled the bundle away, only to discover that Lida was cradling Essie's severed head. Oh my god. She had discovered the affair and murdered both husband and maid in a fit of furious madness. For more than two decades after, the house on Ridge Avenue remained empty. Local folks considered the place cursed or tainted and avoided it at all costs. Now, this raises a good point. When things are weird, do you consider them tainted or do you consider them cursed? This is a question we all need to ask ourselves, I suppose. Hmm. You can only pick one. Uh, no uh, portmanteaus. Damn it. That's my whole thing. Um, <laughs> cursed or tainted? I would say I would consider it... Uh, 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 At last, in 1892, <laughs> the house was renovated into an apartment building to house railroad workers. Though some, oh, sorry, though most, my brain was like, tap it down, some. <laughs> though most refused to stay in the place for long, tenants frequently complained of hearing strange screams. And the the, the one woman. guy refused to stay there. <laughs> yeah, some of the five refused to <laughs> stay. Tenants frequently complained of hearing strange screams, not the usual screams, and the sound of a woman sobbing all from inside the building. Did they ever hear any uh, barbershop quartets? Yeah. (laughs) I'm still trying to make a Music Man reference that I don't think anybody except me will get. I ain't getting out of Light a rose. I am a home again, Rose. It's... Oh, now, now. Only now do I vaguely recognize this. (laughs) But only vaguely. <laughs> After just two years, the house was abandoned once again and remained vacant until 1901 when a Dr. Adolf, gotta be bad, C. Brunrichter, uh-oh, purchased the property. Dr. Brunrichter became something of an instant enigma in the neighborhood. He'd purchased the lot even after having been warned of its horrible history mm. and did little to ingratiate himself with the nearby residents once he moved in. In general, he kept to himself and was rarely seen, even by those who lived close to him. Everyone in the neighborhood watched and held their breath, waiting for something terrible to happen. They didn't have to wait very long. (laughs) On August 12th, 1901, a questionable number of months after he bought the place, I guess... (laughs) Maybe even weeks. <laughs> no, he bought the before house on August 11th. Before he even bought it. <laughs> yeah. The family who lived next door to the Brunrichter mansion heard a terrified scream coming from inside the house. When they ran over to see what was going on, they saw a bright red flash illuminate the interior of the mansion. Mm. The windows of the house shattered and glass shot out into the lawn. Into the lawn? Onto the lawn. The air was filled with the smell of ozone, and the earth under the neighborhood trembled, cracking Mm. the sidewalks and knocking over furniture in the surrounding homes, perhaps the most scandalous and horrifying detail (laughs) of them all. (laughs) By the time the police and the fire department arrived, a crowd had gathered. It was assumed that the doctor was still inside, as no one had seen him leave, but none of the neighbors were brave enough to go in and check. Finally, a contingent of firefighters entered the house in search of Brunrichter. Instead, they discovered a makeshift laboratory that the doctor had set up in one mm. of the rooms. Meth lab? Uh, yes. <laughs> he was trying to raise enough money to cure his cancer. Um, but it went kind of sideways, and something like three years later, he would, I think, die in a shootout or something? Something like that. 
Anyway, a lot of laughs are had along the way. <laughs> um, Bitch. <laughs> yeah. From what the detectives could determine, Brunrichter had apparently been experimenting with severed heads. Like you do. Like you do. Like we all do. I think, isn't that where science starts for most of us? Yeah. At the severed head stage. You start out, you're kind of into dinosaurs, those are pretty cool and stuff, and then you just right. kind of like, just have them eventually, yeah, severed, severed heads. It's kind of a straight line from one to the next. <laughs> Using electrical equipment, he had been trying to keep them, the severed heads, alive after decapitation. A fault in his equipment had evidently caused the explosion. A young girl's head was found with several others, and in the cellar, the graves of five women were discovered, their bodies, can you guess, matching to each of the heads from the laboratory, Mm -hmm. much like puzzle pieces, I imagine. As for Dr. Brunrichter, there was no sign of him. He had either escaped during the confusion following the explosion or had vanished prior. The subsequent manhunt produced no additional clues. More than a quarter century later, however, in September 1927, an elderly man was arrested in New York's Bowery District, found wandering in a drunken stupor. He was booked for public drunkenness and taken to the local police station. He identified himself as Adolf Brunrichter, just like that. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you were going to say he was like arrested for a public beheading of strangers or something. And experimentation. This this drunk guy was just like cutting off people's heads and sticking wires in there. (laughs) Yeah. Eventually someone decided they had to call the police. Like, this guy is a nuisance. You know what? That's enough. Yeah. I've asked you five times now to stop beheading people and trying to keep their heads alive. Best way to keep a head alive, by the way, is to uh, leave it where it is. He's like, yeah, I've discovered that if you reattach or just don't even detach the head in the first place... (laughs) It works out pretty good. Um, he was kept behind bars for a month before a weird explosion happened in the jail. And the the neighbors of the jail were <laughs> too scared to go in and look and see what happened. Because their furniture fell over and they were mad. Yeah, the furniture fell down. <laughs> he was deemed harmless and released. Jumping back to 1901-ish. After the horrific discoveries in the basement of the house, the Ridge Avenue mansion, as you might have guessed, was once again abandoned. Hmm. As it stood empty, its reputation grew. Those with an interest in the paranormal made occasional visits to the place. Visits? Visits? Uh, One medium, Julia Murray, claimed to have detected a horrible spirit there, and witnesses who accompanied her to the mansion stated that objects, quote, objects hurled by unseen hands barely missed striking her, unquote. Wow. Murray predicted that the entity would kill and would eventually extend out beyond the confines of the house. In 1920, the stories about the mansion even caught the attention of one Thomas Alva Edison, uh-huh. who sought to create a that device guy. that would allow people to rate homes from their computers. <laughs> <laughs> to communicate with the dead, of course, Edison's announcement appeared in the newspapers only after his visit to the house on Ridge Avenue. What happened to him during his visit is unknown, but whatever it was, it was probably a ghost. It was also during the 1920s that Julia Murray's premonitions of evil connected to the house on Ridge Avenue had their day. On Monday, November 14th, 1927, the Equitable Gas Company, which was located just a few blocks away, sent a crew of 16 workers to the top of its huge 5 million cubic foot natural gas storage tank. Wow. To find and repair a leak. And you got to figure, back in 1927, that thing was made out of wrought iron or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not exactly awesome. Tin. 
at 8.43 that morning, a great sheet of flame erupted from the tank, and the huge container shot impossibly upwards into the air. Steel, stone, and human bodies were sent hurling into the sky. Two of the men who had been working uh, died. I'm not going to describe this. <laughs> disgusting. <laughs> yeah. Seconds later, another tank exploded, creating another gigantic fireball. Or as they wrote, ball of fire. Then a third <laughs> tank, this one only partially full, was wrenched apart and added to the inferno. Things go boom. Many buildings that were blown apart, obviously the the foundations were still there. At one place, though, not even bricks and stone remained. Wow. And that place, Jake, can you guess? Uh, the I'm up. Ridge Avenue, full two blocks away from the blast site. There was nothing left but a smoldering crater. <laughs> Although homes on both sides and across the street from where the Congolier mansion had stood were heavily damaged, they were still standing. Yet where the most haunted house in America had stood, <laughs> there was only a hole nearly 85 feet deep. <laughs> oh, wow. Which is, of course, 85% of the way... <laughs> To hell. <laughs> so uh, I'm curious how they measure a uh, degree of hauntedness of houses in America. I think you have to use the spirit box mm. or whatever it's called. The ghost box. The thing that is the dictionary of words that a ghost mm -hmm. can talk to. Right. And then ask on a scale from one to haunted. And then the box is like taxi cab go high one. And you're like, whoa, this is a very haunted house. <laughs> um so what do you think so far <laughs> i think uh very very scary um a lot of head based uh scary things yeah, happening it's a very cranial yeah. uh situation i can only assume that the explosiony stuff that happened uh involved uh heads coming off of bodies in the process um and yeah definitely super haunted uh hole in the ground Yep, that is the truth. Ain't that the truth? Well, as uh, as we all probably could have figured out, this is a classic case of blending fact and fiction. Um, although, perhaps in this case, there is mostly fiction. Uh, there was no one ever named Charles Wright Congolier. Mm -hmm. uh, there's no record of any dealings in Texas, no record of his ever living in Pittsburgh. There are no police or criminal records stating that any kind of Lida murdered a husband or servant girl <laughs> in the 1870s. However, using dates, as we know from Reddit, really helps anchor a story <laughs> and uh, give it a sense of uh, reality. Mm -hmm. However, it also makes it that much easier in cases like this to fact check the shit out of it. <laughs> <laughs> And especially with lurid stories like that, the news fucking loved that kind yeah, of stuff. So there exactly. would have been exactly, yeah, precisely. So this is where the Adolf Brunrichter chapter falls apart. There is absolutely no evidence that that character existed. And just as you say, they comment about how that would have been like the juiciest tabloid tale ever yeah i mean this was uh a few like as far as when that was in 1870 something is that right when the original like uh decapitations were meant to have happened yes yeah so that was a, a couple decades before newspapers had the chance to 
start an actual war, in this case with Spain. <laughs> um, so they needed other juicy stuff up until then, and they would have loved other stuff after that too. But uh, yeah, I so. will. I will say as well, if you think news reports are graphic now, hmm. printed news was horrifying from that period. Which stands to reason, given that it was a time when a you could print literally anything, and b. Yes. Uh, people were still like happily going to uh, public hangings, like and picnicking and stuff. It's like, oh, this is a thing to do with the family and yeah, different it relationship. Is with so them. crazy. I remember um, when we were trying to look up more stuff about the house that my folks live in, the house I grew most of my life up in. What am I saying? House I spent my childhood in. You grew your life up in there, and then you took it with you when you left, as we all do. <laughs> And while I was growing my life up, <laughs> found out the house super spooky, came back from college, go downtown, look at the records. And mm-hmm. part of the records are all the microfiche of old news. And there was one article, one little, you know, panel of unbroken text, because that's what those were. <laughs> yep. A ton of tiny ass little words. Uh, describing an explosion at a distillery or something like this mm. where a couple guys got covered in boiling hot like f- liquid Ugh. and i will just say they go to lengths oh, to describe dear. the situation <laughs> and i was like okay all right oh, we, we got the report guys you can stop they're like no 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 <laughs> um sit, sit back down yeah you sit back down you keep reading so one nugget of truth there was a property at 1129 Ridge Avenue, but it was built in the late 1880s, not in the 1860s, hmm. and it was a standard Manchester row house, not some sort of like Lovecraftian manner. <laughs> also, Thomas Edison indeed did try to, or at least talked about wanting to create a spirit phone. Oh, I forgot about that. Um, so that is, it is not. It's not fanciful to describe him as earnestly being interested in communicating with the spirit world, as it were. (laughs) But, obviously, Edison never went to Ridge Avenue. There was, indeed, a massive gas storage tank explosion on November 14th, 1927, which did Mm. kill 24 people in the surrounding area. So that's true, uh, unfortunately. And one of those to be killed by the blast was the real-life Marie Congolier, who did own the house for a time, Hmm. Um, but she died from a laceration, not from ghosts. Well, yeah, but what caused the laceration? Well, the explosion. What about Freddy Krueger? Oh. You idiot. (laughs) (laughs) I would say I could have told you that, but I just did. <laughs> um so writing on his blog, History Sidebar, historian David it sounds like his name is History Sidebar. <laughs> My name is Sidebar. Historian David S. Rottenstein, which also sounds like a made up oh. name, writes a blog called History Sidebar, and he sort of tackles oddities throughout time. And he continues the dive into the real history of 1129 Ridge Avenue mm-hmm. and the Chanceliers rather than the Congoliers. Huh. 
the real story behind 1129 Ridge, as he says, throws shade on the ghost stories, which is maybe a bit strong. Uh, dare I read some of this to you? Sure. The Chancelliers didn't arrive in Pittsburgh after the Civil War. Mary and her husband, Giacomo, a.k.a. Jack Chancellor, had lived in southwestern Pennsylvania's coal fields where he worked as a miner. Mm. Immigration records, census schedules, marriage licenses, and land records track their movements in western Pennsylvania during the 20th century's first two decades, which is kind of awesome. Yeah. Jack emigrated with his extended family from Villa Rosa, a town in Sicily. Also from Villa Rosa, Mary settled from Italy with her father. Jack was nine years older than Mary when they married in 1913. The house that Jack bought in 1923 was hardly a mansion. Uh, This is kind of like what Troy uh, brought up as well. It was a narrow eight-room, 21-foot-wide, two-and-a-half-story brick row house at the corner of Ridge Avenue and Sprout Alley. Sprout. Sprout. The five-house row had been completed in early 1886 by John Jacob Lawrence, who was a Civil War veteran and paint company founder who had brought uh, who had bought the property in the 1880s from the Allegheny Gas Works Company. Uh, this is all extremely fun to learn about, I'm sure. <laughs> so Jack buys the place, and very shortly after begins bootlegging like a son of a gun. He puts the title to the house in his wife's name, which was a common tactic organized crime figures used to protect their personal property against seizures by law enforcement. Mm-hmm, yeah. um, wasn't the only or first property that Jack bought. He also purchased a three-story building at 106 East General Robin Street. For anyone who <laughs> is living in Pittsburgh, there's some... Highly granular information, I'm sure. <laughs> yep. Uh, that became the Rosa Villa restaurant. And yeah, the dude just did crime for like 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> Bootlegging and gambling primarily. And the uh, chanceliers and the restaurant were widely known among ordinary Pittsburgh residents and law enforcement as a popular mob uh, family and, and the restaurant as a hangout spot. Well, there you go. So... It's not that hard to see how such a property, which is now a uh, road, might have earned a spooky reputation and, uh, you know, provided some rich soil for a ton of folklore tales to emerge, which were up until relatively recently taken pretty much at face value as wow. possibly true. Fascinating. So there you go. People love a story. People love a story. I know. If we if we say nothing else with this show, perhaps that would be it. And I guess we have to say nothing else. Let's uh, just end the show now. Goodbye forever. Yep. <laughs> well, before we end the show forever, should we maybe thank uh, someone who helped make it possible? And in this case, uh, a beer person. And in, this, and in that way, we, I mean beer place. I think we. I think we could. Should we though? Four Phantoms, a cool little brewery in western Massachusetts. Not uh, eastern. No, I don't know how it's always like I'm picturing the west and I'm saying east. Uh, no, western Massachusetts, they combine elements of Wyatt. D&D, heavy metal, and everyone's favorite uh, fermented beverage, beer. Strong statement, but yes, 
They use those those con- ingredients to make beer, Rogo beer. My goodness gracious, they've got some fan favorites back in their rotation as of Seasonal. five hours ago, uh-huh. <laughs> which are, of course, Johnny Flip Flops, <laughs> uh, which is not a 0.5%. Okay, Drew, got to stop putting these points. As we know, uh, we're the first people to find out about these beers when they come out, and uh, these decimal points... Drew, I think what it, it is. Like they're accurate. I think we get the we get the report on the alcohol by volume uh, when the beer is first conceived of. Yeah, <laughs> before it's actually made, and then it goes up from there to exactly by a factor of exactly ten. <laughs> yep. We're talking about so we got dirt weed, the double IPA we always love so much. The summer iteration of that is out. Uh, mm, just real mm, good, mm. Uh, dank as people like to say about uh, IPAs. It's a tasty IPA. I quite like it. Johnny Flip Flops is a mojito sour. It's got uh, lime and mint flavors to it. It's unlike anything I'm sure you've had before. Very unique and just a very fun summer beer. It's I like it. It is worth a try if you've if you've never if you've never had it before. Mm-hmm. Take your take yourself on a on a wild trip. And actually, it's quite refreshing, quite tasty. Again, like all the sours that Four Fathoms makes, if you're nervous about drinking a sour, it's uh it's very smooth, goes down nicely. And uh, stop being a wimp. Just try it out. That too. Four Phantoms also has other cool stuff on their website. Uh, very fun merch. You can get their t-shirts, hoodies, beer koozies. They've got patches. I was about to say they have stickers, but they know not to walk on our side of the street. <laughs> and you can still be one of the first 100 members of the Four Phantoms. What are we? What are we calling this? The four. The four. The first hundred Phantom. Oh man. <laughs> I gotta think of something to call this. Yeah, you can get an exclusive membership. <laughs> yes, uh, on their site, it's limited to 100 members, and it gives you all sorts of fun perks, especially if you can go to their tasting room. So anyone you know in the greater Western Mass area, head on up to Greenfield and check out their brick and mortar tap room, which I believe is opening uh, very soon. Mm. In the meantime, you can also leave them a nice review on Untapped. If you mention us in that review, make it fun and creative and stuff, uh, then we will read it on this here show. That is right. So do that. Try the beer. And thank you very much. Thanks. And now, Jake, I believe there we've, we've come to the main event, as, as people love to say. <laughs> oh, I see. I get it. I was like, wait. Wow. What? Oh, boy. Wow. Let's see. I'm so used to despising puns that they just wash over me like nothing even <laughs> happened um, <laughs> don't hide in your hatred <laughs> so i had a couple of different uh story ideas in mind for today i uh was torn between them so i ended up uh, i've decided that i would do this one for here and the other story for the mini episode for this week mm. so it's a straight up teaser for a patreon thing which we'll talk about more later uh, but let me just go ahead and jump into what I do have. Mm. The time is 1991. You and I were still but tender youths. Green color graded cyberpunk kung fu dystopian futures had scarcely yet been dreamed of. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. not 50 miles southwest of where little Jake was innocently doing whatever dumb shit two year olds do, a monster lurked. Oh, wow. For years. So not just 1991, but that was definitely one of the years uh denizens of <laughs> for Maine's years, including 1991 <laughs> but not limited to it 
<laughs> I cannot stress enough how 1991 was not the only of several years. <laughs> but was for sure included. One of those years, yes. <laughs> Denizens of Maine's Androscoggin County lived in fear of whatever it was that stalked the night. The enigmatic animal was blamed for attacking and killing a 16-year-old Doberman in the town of Wales. Ooh. It was later a suspect when a Rottweiler was mauled in green. Others have reported seeing it in passing by the headlights of their car or hearing its unearthly screams in the night. We're talking Ooh. some kind of scary monster that can, uh, can maul Dobermans and Rottweilers. Yikes. Witnesses have said that its eyes glowed yellow in the dark. Hmm. Others, reported, uh, others reported feeling an instant chill when its blood-curdling screams filled the air after dusk. One woman considered moving out of her Litchfield home after hearing the animal's monstrous cry one night. Mainly she's like, I'm out of here. Yeah. Theories range from a fisher to a koi dog to a hyena or a dingo to even more fanciful ideas. Some believe the local creature is Maine's own chupacabra because of course they did. Uh Uh-huh. Like until a few years ago, any animal in North America that I looked... I feel like, yeah, exactly. Especially during the 90s. Yeah, if it looked weird, it was a chupacabra. Uh, now it's either a wendigo or a skinwalker because I'm guessing white Americans just learned new legends and thought those were cooler sounding. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, this would have been, you know, in the time period, like that chupacabra case zero was in 1995. So this would have been the height of the hype. After the scream sounds, I, I think it's unlikely that something as common as like a fox or a fisher could make a fuss for that long without some manor in the area knowing what it was. There so, you go. Yeah, I, I would imagine. A wild and woolly people. Exactly. Sightings and pet maulings would continue on and off for the next decade or so until August of 2006. Under some power lines in the town of Turner, Weird-looking critter was found murdered, or rather, it was found dead, uh, and no one knew what it was. Quick, quiet, what was it go? Let's see. It's a real creature. It was real dead. <laughs> I'm gonna guess either some kind of mountain lion or a big old wolf thing. I'll continue. Badger. <laughs> it was just a badger. It was a European badger. It's a very polite-looking badger that had just been dead. <laughs> Um, the animal was found along Route 4 after neighbors said it was struck by a car while chasing a cat across the street. Classic. Classic, classic death, especially on Route 4. (laughs) The carcass was photographed and inspected by several people who live in the area, but nobody seemed to know what it might be. Hmm. Quote, this is something I've never seen before, said Mike O'Donnell, who lived near the area where the (laughs) creature was found. He said it right there. (laughs) It's an evil-looking thing. It looks like okay. half-rodent, half-dog. Hmm. Wildlife officials and animal control officers told about the find declined to go to Turner to examine the animals. Mangy Yodi. By Tuesday, the carcass had been picked clean by vultures, and there was not much left of the dead animal. It's a mean thing to call Mainers, am I right? <laughs> All right, go on. Uh, Lauren Coleman, considered by some to be the leading cryptozoologist in the world said, one thing is clear. Oh, the boy. creature found in Turner is not likely somebody's pet. Quote, good, good contribution. Yeah, it certainly doesn't look like a chow or any kind of domesticated dog that I've seen, Coleman said, after reviewing some photos of the animal. It may be a hybrid between a dog and a wolf. I, I do want to take a moment to brag that my home state is the one where basically the only contemporary self-described cryptozoologist who gets quoted in shit uh, lives. But uh, we obviously can take everything he says with many, many grains of salt. But still... Um... You're right. I mean, you're right. 
Although your uh, birth state of Pennsylvania is where Lon Strickler lives. Wow. Boy, oh boy. <laughs> Whether the creature found dead in Turner was the same one that spurred the legends could not be verified, though the descriptions of the animal were consistent with past accounts. Hmm. Never mind they were talking a full decade plus later, but people were like, hey, it sounds similar. It could be. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, Michelle, yeah, really. o- Michelle, uh, yeah, Michelle O'Donnell said she spotted the animal near her yard roughly a week before the carcass was discovered. Hmm. Quote, it was evil, evil looking. It had a horrible stench I will never forget, she said. We locked eyes for a few it's seconds. It's a hellhound. It might have been. We locked eyes for a few seconds, and then it took off. I've lived in Maine my whole life, and I've never seen anything like it. Hmm. Down the road, Kenny Bucks said it was his cat that was chased by the creature. The cat was found dead near Route 4, day before the bigger, meaner beast was discovered. That's no dog, he said, of the dead animal found near his property. Helpful. Uh, Dana <laughs> yeah. Johnson, a professional trapper known as the Creature Catcher, mm. examined the photographs that Tuesday night. His guess? A black coyote with abnormal features. Mm-hmm. So it's like a, a coyote, but weirder. And a yeah, different makes, color. And maybe sense. not a coyote. <laughs> the The neighbors who found the animal called a main game warden. I think it's mentioned above. Who could, uh, told them he could not drive from Poland to Turner to inspect the remains. The warden told them it was probably a coyote and told them to research it online. Mm. They're also advised to call Central Maine Power Company to haul the carcass away since it was found near the power lines. Hmm. So basically, what has happened here so far is a weird creature was found. Everyone involved either shrugged or just passed the buck. That's just mostly yeah, going on so far. And this, again, is 10 years after all the crazy shit was happening, correct? It ha- it started around 1991, but continued <laughs> all throughout the following decade. So I see. It, it on and off stuff was happening. I think like the Doberman that was killed was in 2005 or six. So mm. pretty close to when this happened. Wow. But it, that's like even possibly say 15 ish years. Yeah. If you want to assume it's the same thing, it's pretty old. Wow. Okay. Carry on. Michelle O'Donnell said she researched the internet extensively and could not identify the animal that way. I, I keep looking for it there, but it's still just dead outside on the ground. Instead. I don't understand. Yeah. Wherever can we find more information about what this might've been? Uh, she and her husband said they were more interested in finding out what it was than having it hauled away in haste. Uh, quote, we've been hearing stories about this animal, about this thing for years, about the thing that's been attacking, shredding, and eating other animals, said Mike O'Donnell. This is something that's not supposed to be out there. Coleman, the cryptozoologist who has been studying wildlife for 46 <laughs> years and who has written 27 books on the subject, said he was bothered by the ears and the snout of the creature found in Turner. It reminded him of a case years ago in northern Maine in which an animal shot by a hunter could not be identified. Come on. Oh, here we go. Since the, t- since the attack that killed the Dorman in 2004 in Wales, it was a couple years prior to this, several people from Litchfield, Sabatis, Green, Turner, Lewiston, and Auburn have come forward to speak of a mystery monster that roams the woods. Mm. Skeptics have insisted the creature is probably a koi dog, a fisher, or a wolf. Those who have seen it demand that it is none of the above. Hmm. There have been like some wolf sightings in Maine. Like, like a lot of parts of eastern the eastern U.S., actually just U.S. in general, wolves were like hunted to extinction in the area by humans. Yeah, and they have not really been making a comeback yet. So there have been nope. supposed sightings of wolves in Maine. I think occasionally there have been like single wolves that have wandered down from Canada and were seen. But for the most part, it's probably mm. just people mistaking coyotes. Yeah. That's my bet. What was found dead in Turner was described as charcoal gray and weighing between 40 and 50 pounds. It had a bushy tail, an extremely short snout, and ears. Hmm. Uh, there were also curled fangs hanging over the lips. 
Now I am going to finally show it to you and see what you think it I is. I have seen this image before, but go on. Before I'm have. saying this before seeing it. Ah. See? Yes. Yeah. Yes. yes. It's a weird thing. There's another view of it from above, showing like the whole you thing. You know, okay. People, when they use man, it is a dead dog. It's a weird looking, like it's not a very it's, clear breed. But it's clearly a candid. Yeah. You know, people use this language of like mystery beast. It's like, mm-hmm. no, 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 no. It's some kind of canine. <laughs> like we can absolutely wind this down. You don't have to like carry on. Yeah. Eventually, a sample of the creature was uh, finally sent to the University of Maine, where DNA analysis concluded that the animal's mother was from the family Canidae. You know. Uh, While the father's genetic link was not uh, absolutely (laughs) certain. Human. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, It was likely also a canid. Uh, Even more specifically, it looked like both parents were of the genus Canis, which is the same as dogs and wolves. So according to University of Maine scientist Irv Cornfield, with a K. Wow. (laughs) The uh, the beast, quote, has all the indicators to link it to being from Canis, a dog. Hmm. Thus, the matter was settled. Maybe. Obviously, some folks can't let that kind of thing go. And this particular article said, in at least one other case where a suspected chupacabra sample was tested, the results indicated that the animal was a canine with mange. The person who submitted the sample insisted that the animal was not canine and that a dog specimen had mysteriously been switched for the actual sample he sent. Naturally. Conspiracy theories never die. No. And again, going back to the dog thing, like, yeah, it's for such a long time, people were saying if they saw any kind of weird looking animal, they'd just say, oh, it's a chupacabra. Like, it's always just automatically mm-hmm. a chupacabra. Seeing, like, uh, you know, a any animal that's washed up on um, a beach, like any kind of mammal that has fallen in the ocean and mm-hmm. had like its fur all stripped off by the tide. Like, oh, look at this weird chupacabra that washed up on this beach. I think I covered the uh, <laughs> the Montauk monster a while back. Mm-hmm. And people were like, oh, is this a chupacabra? Like, no. It's no, not, it's all not chupacabras. a chupacabra. <laughs> Although I will say I uh, suffered from a similar condition where any kind of trading card or magazine page or really any kind of print media that looked cool, I would be like, look at this cool pog that I can soon make with my pog-making machine. <laughs> I think that was a lot of us in that same time period. When everyone else was looking for chupacabras, we were making pogs. Oh, buddy. Man. <laughs> Anyone out there under the age of, I don't know. 40? And, <laughs> a, and, a, and above the age of 20? Oh, oh, you're saying who might not know what it is. I'm who sorry. might not know what it is, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Although I... <laughs> with that pretext you're saying under 40 uh was very funny as well um yeah i don't know they're uh dumb shit sort of thing you'd like when you're a kid and then you grow up and you're like oh what am i doing well, anything that was a collecting a collector's item was always extremely stupid and in the 90s in particular it was like some very very just silly stuff i bet you pogs come back oh, i, bet I you wouldn't this is the be time. surprised totally this is the time I think yeah, as millennials are having children, they'll like somehow convince their kids to have pogs. Yeah, but I feel like there's like a '90s surge happening right mm-hmm. now with the youngins. Yes, and the um, styles. I'm very curious now. Somewhere in my parents' house, all my pogs might still be somewhere. Yep, pretty sure mine are. Don't know. The one that's got the eight ball on it. <laughs> it's got probably a skull. The weird like juicy snake. <laughs> like a pair of lips. Like you're just like, what are we doing anyway? So, not like I can think about his pogs. I can't help you there, but uh, 
monster thing. People thinking, yeah, people see a weird thing, they assume it's a chupacabra because it just looked weird. So whatever. In the case here, so we think, okay, this weird probably uh, a pretty cool dog too. Huh? Nothing go on. <laughs> this is a kind of weird dog thing they found that was chasing a cat and died. But what about the real monster, the one with the eerie cry and glowing eyes? Ugh. Lauren Coleman maintains that the long-sought creature still lurks in the forests. Quote, I think there is a mystery beast out there in the woods around Turner. Because, of course, he does. <laughs> and is it someone's pet? <laughs> I don't think so. It doesn't look like any chow he's ever seen. That's right. Until and unless it, too, is found, the stories and sightings will continue. Hmm. And that's, that's spooky. Where left off. So as chance would have it, there maybe have still been sightings since then. Ooh, uh, I didn't get a chance to dig into it super deeply, but uh, here is one I found from last year Ugh. in the area. I said, I have a farm and over 40 chickens have gone missing over the past three years. Not originally from the area, but have had neighbors stop by to warn me of a fisher. They weren't sure what a fisher was. Or something. I don't know how to spell it. So then someone said, oh, it's this kind of a weaselly type thing. Here you go. And they're like, oh, that's definitely not what it was that I saw. Hmm. Um, I didn't think much of it, but one night I heard a commotion in the barn and went to investigate with a flashlight. I briefly saw the animal. It looked like a very large house cat, bigger than any of the barn cats or large domestic varieties I've ever seen. Hmm. It was completely jet black, head to toe, with deep hmm. yellow eyes and a very aggressive stance and posture. The hair had a bit of a shimmer to it, but was dark like obsidian. It was quick and skittered off, assuming it was some kind of wild cat. Hmm. So... Another weird little sighting. That's cool. Could yeah. it be a, uh, what were they called, a melanistic mountain lion? Yeah, it could. I mean, there's, there also have been sightings of, of mountain lions throughout New England and stuff, too, which are, for the same reason as wolves, probably not true. But sometimes, mm-hmm. especially if you get north enough, now this is definitely not very far north. If you look on a map in Maine, Turner is like in the bottom fifth of the state. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. oh, stranger things have happened. And them saying that it could be a weird wild cat. They're, they're, I would not be surprised if they're just a variety of weird-ass wild animals that have randomly been killing different things at different times. People have seen different things. Right. Uh, I'm not sure what this specific thing would be because the only thing I can think of for a wild cat would be a lynx or a bobcat. Mm. Those don't tend to be black. They do look noticeably bigger than a, uh, a standard house cat. For which sure. Which is really interesting when you see, like, if you see a bobcat skull next to a house cat skull, unless you're, like, really an expert in taxonomy and like bone kind of identification stuff. They look the same, very mm-hmm. similar size and stuff, but uh, definitely got longer legs, great big paws and mm-hmm. uh, they'll fuck things up. Comically large paws. I remember yeah. seeing the old sort of a uh, natural history type drawings of a lynx with their massive paws. And you think that the guy got everything almost right and just sort of fell apart there, but no, indeed they have snowshoes for feet essentially. <laughs> And they work very effectively as exactly that. It's great. Mm-hmm. Also, I'm just thinking of people like trying to describe species they haven't actually seen or trying to recreate them in some way. Oh, yeah. And I, I've mentioned it more than once on the show. I, I think I... I don't know if I mentioned it specifically when I was talking about at the Harvard Natural History Museum. They have, uh, I said, a coelacanth suspended in Mountain Dew. <laughs> they also have this other thing. I don't know if I mentioned it that time, but they have this fossa, taxidermied fossa. And it, it's just the most fucked up looking thing like they, <laughs> the person who put had like they're given a skin said here make this put this together again and like well shit i don't know <laughs> and yeah it's, right I'll, I'll post a picture in the description oh, do. along with a picture of what an actual fossil looks like they're actually very pretty boy howdy yeah right <laughs> 
This is just calling me back to, I think it looked this way. You'll remember this as well, Jake. The birds in Spalding Hall at uh-huh. University of New Hampshire. There was an indigo bunting with a thousand yard stare that I always liked. It was right at eye level. There For me, it was a, there. I think it was like a, the woodcock? a snipe or it might have been the woodcock. With like the bug eyes? With the bug eyes that yeah, that was a woodcock. Very uh, <laughs> comical. I actually think I have pictures of those as well. Nice. So I will put those in our Instagram post that goes out with this episode. You can just uh, swipe through the different slides, and I'll have slides of uh, of all those things. <laughs> I would say, at least in UNH's defense, those those specimens were easily over a hundred years old and probably just yes. evaporating <laughs> in yep. time. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But still, hilarious looking. Probably. Very spooky. Spooky tale. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Love a good critter in the woods story. If you ever want to make a New England trip, you should like just drive up through Greenfield, uh, get some beers at Four Phantoms, mm. and head up until you get to Westbrook, get some beer and uh, and some delicious foods from my mm. brother-in-law at Mass Landing in Westbrook, and mm. then go a little further north and uh, find a monster, I guess. And then I guess you can go like northeast and, and visit my parents at my house. <laughs> See if it's still haunted. <laughs> then have them take you out to dinner. Uh-huh. Open invitation point. to the whole entire audience. What? Yeah. No, exactly. Everyone do this at the same day on the same day. <laughs> yeah. Um good stuff. Yeah, good so that's stuff. what I got for the main app anyway, this episode. Well, those are our birth states, and I think those are basically the only stories we ever need to tell about those particular parts of the country again. <laughs> Um, that's this particular, uh, edition of, uh, of this little, (laughs) oops, home state horrors, horrors. Uh, Yeah. Before we go, we must make one last offering of thanks now to an individual Mm. Mm. who has helped support this show via Mm -hmm. patreon.com. And we'll of course be doing this using the NC AAA device, Mm -hmm. a frightening kind of sort of computer contraption that we just have <laughs> don't worry about it it's don't worry here. about it so much and we're going to run a program on it called the patron appreciation neural dive for evaluation of risk a not tainted nor cursed uh series of zeros ones <laughs> and repeating sixes that we will used to hack our own brains and figure out what creature cryptid ghouly monster or what have you patrons need to look out for. Let me turn it on. Here we go. Now we'll plug these uh, cords into the backs of our skulls. We can get direct brain uh, interface. And we're going to focus on Nicholas Nicholas Smithingard, a.k.a. Nick Nick Smith, Smith, a.k.a. AKA Young Santa. Santa. Dear friend of the show. Nick, watch out for... Kodama. Kodama. It's a spirit from Japanese folklore which is believed to live in certain trees. <laughs> uh, as you may already know, Nick, Kadama can be found in groups in the inner reaches of mountains. They are rarely seen, but can be heard as an echo that takes longer to return than normal. Don't confuse this with that dog thing the we talked one. about yeah. last time. This is a the different Japanese dog. echo. Yeah. Uh, when they're seen, they usually take the form of a faint orb of light. They sometimes appear as a tiny humanoid creature. Wow. So it's a pretty good spectrum of physical appearances. Yeah. This is something I knew. Some old trees will bleed when cut, <laughs> which is thought to mean it contains a Kodama. 
and so I you, guess you maybe sliced cut the into it. Yeah, I don't know. In modern times, cutting down a tree which houses a kodama is thought to kill the kodama and bring misfortune. And such trees are often marked with Shimanawa rope. So if you want a physical representation of what to look out for, go ahead and check out the Miyazaki film Princess Mononoke. Although, being a nice guy like you are, I'm sure you've probably watched it like five times. <laughs> they are the little white humanoids with rattling heads. So, you know, just uh, if you're in Japan, you see a marked tree, don't cut it don't down. Don't cut it down. Or if you cut into a tree and it's bleeding, don't stop. cut it down. <laughs> yes, yeah, stop there. And thank you very thank much, you so much for supporting us on Patreon. Uh, you too can have your own cryptid creature uh, bleeding tree calculated by the Panda function by simply uh, supporting us at any level of support on Patreon. You will get your cryptid calculated. We have three awesome tiers through which you can support this show. Each one, of course, bringing more and more fun treats, such as becoming a glug suck, which uh, <laughs> you'll just have to figure out what that means for yourself. <laughs> uh, it may or may not involve highly limited edition stickers. Mm -hmm. There are perks as far as discounts on our really rad online merch store, as well as bonus minisodes and outtakes, which you know, at this point, are almost half the show. So if you like this, <laughs> you'll love those. Sure will. You can also subscribe for a year at a time. That, uh, that'll get you a discount of, I think, I can't remember what the percentage works out to be, but it's about the same as getting two months off for the whole year. So ten, the cost of 10 months to get 12. Thank you for, uh, for listening to the show. Thank you for considering even supporting the show. If you want to support the show, for free, you can do that by rating and reviewing us, especially on Apple Podcasts. We love your comments. We love your five-star reviews. <laughs> um, actually switched the code on the page so that only five stars can be left. <laughs> so don't even worry about it, uh, but don't test it. And do that. Yes. And thank you so much for listening. We'll be back again, uh, probably not next week, but the week after. And it's going to be... Uh, more sound stuff for me, for Wyatt, that's going to be... More Havana Syndrome, mm -hmm. so don't already read about it, and <laughs> we're going to see you then. Thanks, and... Bye. This has been Homestead Horrors. Goodbye.